2 Timothy chapter 3, page 996, if you'd like to use the Pew Bible there on the Pew Rack in front of you. 2 Timothy 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Let's stand again as we hear this reading of God's Word. Apostle Paul writes in Timothy, But understand this, that in the last days that come to difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men all who oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he add his blessing to its reading and preaching. You can be seated. Our morning series of sermons through Isaiah, we recently saw in chapter 6 in his call uh, to prophetic ministry that Isaiah was given a sober warning with regard to the times in which he prophesied. We, we made reference uh, to that this morning and we, we saw in chapter 7 that he immediately uh, he, he, he hit that head on as he came to King Ahaz. Uh, those days... Isaiah's ministry in those days were difficult to say the least, but the Lord did tell him beforehand what it was he was to expect. And in a similar way, though it's in a different context, in a different age of God's people, Timothy is being told what to expect as well, like Isaiah was, with regard to the days, the time in which he lived and ministered. And so as it was with Isaiah, so it is with Timothy, as Paul writes to him and says, I want you to understand uh, the, the time in which you are, are ministering. And yet, despite the difficulty, just like for Isaiah, so it is for Timothy, it's, it, it, was, it was not to be a time to despair. There, there is yet hope, and we'll, we'll see that despite the difficulty of the days. There is hope for Timothy to, to carry on. Uh, this, this should be a means of encouragement towards his faithfulness and perseverance as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As we'll see, though these, these words were delivered to Timothy personally, there is also an extended application uh, for us in the church today and really for the church um, wherever it, it finds uh, itself. Uh, this is a great help to us. And what we'll see tonight is this main truth that Paul's words to Timothy regarding latter days ministry are both sobering and encouraging for the continuing church of the Lord Jesus. Paul's words to Timothy regarding latter days of ministry are both sobering and encouraging for the continuing church of the Lord Jesus. We'll look at this truth under uh, three points in our, in our text. The, the first five verses will show us an explanation of the difficulty of latter days ministry. An explanation of the difficulty of latter days ministry as Paul describes uh, what it is like. We'll see then in verses 6 and 7 a second point, and that is a, uh, an example of the, uh, of the deception of Latter-day's ministry. An example of the deception of Latter-day's ministry. And then finally in verses 8 and 9 we'll see an encouragement towards, the de- uh, towards determination 
in latter days ministry and encouragement towards determination in latter days ministry. Uh, that felt a lot more wordy when I spoke it than when I wrote it. Uh, but we'll, we'll manage. Uh, let's first see then, go back to verses uh, 1 through 5 and see this, uh, what we're calling an explanation for the difficulty of latter days ministry. Now, if you remember in our, our uh, recent, most recent context, Paul's encouragements to Timothy uh, in chapter 2 uh, and lately in chapter 2 have been with regard to, his, uh, to Timothy's opponents, those that he's going to face. And they are namely false teachers who, as chapter 2, verse 17 says, or verse 18 rather, says they have swerved from the truth. And if you remember, uh, Timothy is to avoid the, the fruitless pursuit of, of getting involved in their, in their quarrelings, uh, in these uh, uh, fruitless, uh, unprofitable discussions uh, with, with these. Timi Timothy, rather, uh, is to maintain his faithfulness in both doctrine and life. But, Timothy, there is something that you must know, and that's what we find in verse 1. But understand, he says, he, wa he wants you to know this. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now we, we do this often whenever we, <coughs> we come to a passage of scripture that speaks of the last days or the latter days or the last hour. Uh, because when we see it, we, we typically just want to push everything to the future. This is what is to come. And uh, it's typically, uh, it, might, it might be at least in the context in which I was raised, it was spoken of in this way. You know, we, we have to be in the last of the last days. These, this has to be speaking of, of our time. And, and I believe it is speaking of our time, but not only of our time. The, the last days or the latter days or the la last hour in Scripture uh, is really referring to the time between Christ's first and second coming. Right? Hebrews 1. Uh, God has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. Paul tells the Corinthians, it's upon you that the, the end of the ages has come. In the biblical timeline, the, the last days refer to the Messianic age. It, it, it is spanning the entire age of the new covenant church between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And Paul does couch this in future, future terms in verse 1. He says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So, so I do believe this, this extends beyond Timothy's time. But if you look down in verse 5, you can see that it also includes Timothy's time. At the end of verse 5, he's told to avoid such people as he describes what these last days uh, characters are, are going to be like. And so these are people that Timothy will encounter. The, this is the context of Timothy's ministry. This, these are the days in which Timothy lives, a time in which he is already involved. This is the description of the time in which he, he ministers. And so it applies to Timothy, uh, but it applies to the church uh, in any age as well. It applies to us as well, the continuing church until Christ's return. We should also add that this is not the only description of the last days that we find in Scripture. We, we do need to be encouraged that the last days are described in terms of prosperity, uh, of the, the furtherance of the gospel, of, of Satan being bound and not able to deceive the nations, of the increase of Christ's government, of the, the, bless, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of times of refreshing and reformation and, and revival for the church. Uh, we find this in Scripture, but we also find simultaneously that the days are characterized as what Paul uh, des describes in here, times of difficulty, times that are very hard. And so he gives to Timothy this, this warning. What makes the time so difficult is uh, that, he, that he says in verse 1, 
is what we find in verses 2 to 5. It's, it's really the description, the characteristic of the people of these days. That's what makes it so hard for him. Now, as we, we go through verses 2 to 5, we, we won't take time to uh, just give a gloss for every single word or term that's mentioned here. Many of them are self-explanatory. We'll note just a couple of things and, and kind of see it more, more generally. Uh, but first, what characterizes these people, we could, we could see the, the first characteristic in, in verse 2 and in verse 4. There are statements that, that bookend this description. The first thing is in verse 2 where we, we find that the very first description of them is that they are lovers of self. And then in verse 4, uh, bookending this, they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This is what we could say is fundamentally wrong with them. Their loves are disordered. Uh, everything is, is out of order. They're not marked with the character of God's people. They don't pursue uh, what Christ said was the summary of the law, to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, no, they only love themselves. They don't love God. They don't love their neighbor. They're, they're self-seeking. What is it that they love? Well, we, we've already noted themselves, but also verse 2 tells us that they're lovers of money. Uh, Peter describes uh, avarice as a, as a mark of, of false teachers in, in his epistle. Uh, verse 2 also tells us that they are marked by pride and arrogance. Verse, uh, verse 3, uh, or verse 4 rather, tells us that they have a, an undue estimation of themselves. They are, they are swollen with conceit. They're only uh, concerned about, about themselves and they're, they're puffed up. We also see here in verse 2 that the most uh, basic institution of their society is in disarray. The family. Children are years being disobedient to their parents. And some scholars think that the, the following few descriptions have to do with the, the nuclear family as well. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They're, they're ungrateful for the care that they've received. Uh, unholy, heartless. They, they don't have a heartless. They don't have a natural affection that one uh, has for, for your own flesh and blood. That, that is lacking. Unappeasable. This is an unwillingness to reconcile. And if this is true, if, if the most basic structure, the most basic institution, the culture of, of that institution is in disarray, then it's to no surprise that the larger society is as well. And so instead of doing good to others, what do we find? They, they harm others. Instead of seeking to build one another up with their words, they are slanderous, diabolical in their words. They seek to do harm rather than good. They are those who abuse with their tongues and they abuse with their actions as well. And so uh, what is, what is uh, spoken of of God's people, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, there is none of that here. It's interesting also that they're, uh, they're described in what they lack. If you notice, there's a, there's a negation with many of these. Uh, for instance, in verse uh, uh, 2, they are ungrateful unholy, heartless, unappeasable, without self-control. The end of verse 3, not loving good. So they're, they're described in, in terms of what they don't have. They don't love God. They don't love others. They only love themselves, and they're only concerned with their own pleasure and gain. So we look at this, and we think, man, this, this must be this is a godless society. This, these, this is an irreligious society. That's, that's not the case at all. In fact, verse 5 tells us that they are, they are indeed religious. Verse 5 says that they have the appearance of godliness, 
but they deny its power. And they lack what Paul is, uh, is convinced that Timothy has. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, he tells Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He, he encourages him in this. To be strengthened, to be empowered by the grace that you have received, to continue in this. They, they lack this. They, they, don't have, they, they can't tap into this because, because they, they don't have it. The, the power that they deny is the gracious power of God that Timothy knew by the indwelling of, of God's Spirit. And so that's, that's why he could be encouraged in this. That's why he could be exhorted to be strengthened in the grace, uh, in the grace and, and uh, power of God. The power of God within people, within His people, is, is to transform them. It, it's, it's to work effectually in them, uh, in and through them. And so, though they have the appearance of godliness, they have an outward form, they have a religion, they deny godliness by all that we've seen that characterizes them in verses, uh, in verses 2 to 4. And so they do indeed have a religion, but it's a religion of the, uh, of the self. Uh, that, is, that is their chief love, their chief concern. And so those who only have this outward form of, of godliness, this outward appearance, this formal uh, religion, um, Timothy is told to turn away from them. Verse 5, avoid such people, just as he's been, been told uh, previously to avoid those who are in these uh, fruitless, unproductive uh, uh, quarrels. One commentator summarizes the, the description of these people that we've, we've read here as narcissistic, greedy, arrogant, uh, abusive, and accusing. He, he went on to say that they obviously have no true joy. You can't have true joy if, if these are what characterizes you. And so what they've accepted as a poor substitute for their own joy is the ability to make others unhappy. Well, this is true of Timothy's day, but no doubt as we're uh, reading this description, you, you, you probably think, this is, this is us. This is our time, right? And truly, it, it is, surely. But, you know, I've, I've heard that my entire life. I remember as a, as a child hearing uh, this disobedient to parents and saying, this, we are in the last days. I mean, if this doesn't describe Generation X, you know, I, I don't know what does. They, they are anti-authority, and they are rebellious. Well, then you move on from the 80s and 90s, and then you begin to blame the millennials because this describes them, right? And then now that the millennials are, are older and having children, now this describes whatever this Gen Z, whatever they call them, right? Uh, but now the interesting thing is, is, is all of those generations have teamed up and they say, you know what the problem is? It's the boomers' fault. It's, their, it's them. It's their why our culture is in the mess that we're in today. And of course... Perhaps we, we look back to better times. I'm sure all generations do that. We, we can say that some times are better than others. We, we do have a, uh, the gospel influences uh, some generations more so than others. The Lord pours out his blessing uh, in certain times and during certain generations than he does others. But at the same time, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we, when we see our culture reflect what we find here that's being described uh, for Timothy in, in his day. I heard a, a story of a, a missionary to a, a native jungle people uh, where people uh, still lived in tents. 
uh, he was ministering, bringing the gospel to, uh, to these people, and one day heard uh, this blood-curdling scream come from one of the tents. Uh, a woman cries out, and so everyone rushes over the tent to find out what's wrong, and there's this giant snake in the tent. And so someone, may have been the missionary, someone pulls out a pistol and shoots the snake, r- r- kills it dead, shoots it right in the head. But you know what happens when you kill a snake, right? It's dead, and yet... It doesn't seem to be. The the nerves in that snake were still active. And so it began to just thrash everywhere. There are makeshift shelves where there's uh, things all all along the line along the side of the tent. And it was bringing things down, just making an entire mess of the tent. Well, if the death blow has been delivered to the great serpent, don't be surprised. That in the throes of death, he is thrashing. He is trying to make a mess of things as much as he can. In the wounding of Christ's heel, his head was crushed. He is bound. Christ said he would come to bind the strong man and he would plunder his household. And yet at the same time, the the, the New Testament, even with that knowledge of Christ's victory over Satan, can speak in these terms that, Within the church, these false teachers were coming, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 26, that they had been uh, taken by the, the snare of the devil. They were captured by him to do his will. And so there still is a sense in which he's active in the days of Timothy, though Christ is victorious over him. It shouldn't be a surprise to us to see the same in, uh, in whatever days the church finds herself in. Now, of course, this is to varying degrees but at the same time, we should not be surprised. So this is an explanation that Paul gives for the difficulty of latter days ministry. He now moves on. This is a more general description. He moves on to something more specific now in verses 6 and 7 as he gives an example of the deception of latter days ministry. An example of the deception of latter days ministry. Now, if we keep our context in mind, again, with what Paul has been exhorting Timothy here, it's been with regard to these false teachers And so now he says in verse 6, for among them, that's among all that he's previously described, that what's characterized these uh, these difficult days, among them, now he has a subcategory in mind, a subgroup in mind, among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. False teachers are deceivers, Uh, just like Satan is a great deceiver. They are predators, and they prey on the weak and vulnerable. And the vulnerable that are described here are are called uh, weak women. Now, this isn't to say that a man can't fall prey, but this is who Paul has in mind. It's a grouping uh, of of a a group of people who are immature. They are uh, childish in in this sense. Uh, They lack spiritual discernment. And Paul describes them, notice, as those who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now, I think in, the, in these verses here, Paul is, is alluding back, I mentioned verse 26 of chapter 2 a minute ago, I think he's, he's, he's doing this here, he said that the false teachers are deceivers, uh, this makes sense because they are replicating the character of, of Satan, uh, the great deceiver, and notice the language here at the end, or yeah, the end of verse 26, the, the false teachers, the opponents of Timothy are described in verse 26 as having been captured by the devil to do his will. And now if you look at verse number 6 of our text, these who are creeping into households 
slithering in, as it were, like a serpent. They are capturing weak, uh, weak women. They have been captured, and now they are doing the capturing. It's very clear, isn't it, uh, whose, whose work they are doing. And the women described here, as we, said, we saw, they have two major problems. One, they're burdened. Uh, they're burdened with sins, and two, they're led astray by various passions. To be burdened with sins is, is of course, to be weighed down. It's, it's really the idea of being overwhelmed by sins. And this, this may be a reference to their previous life, uh, th- their sins. Uh, it, it may be a reference to their ongoing struggles with sins. It may be both. But a false teacher can come along, and he provides them with a solution. Perhaps you're burdened by sin, so let me lead you, follow me, and I'll lead you to an ascetic lifestyle where the the denial of these lower appetites and following me and the truth that I'm giving to you will lead you to a higher plane of of spirituality. They also could be led astray by an antinomianism, a a lawlessness. A false teacher could come in and say to them, you know, those, those struggles that you have, they, they are just the natural appetite. You should indeed give in to those things. And as we see in Scripture, many false teachers, and we see in history as well, many false teachers sexually seduce those they're leading astray. So that's their first problem. They're, they're burdened by sins. They, they, they want someone, they are ready for someone to come who can alleviate what they are overwhelmed with. The second problem they have is that they have various passions. Their desires make them easy prey. You know, this seems to be Paul's concern in 1 Timothy with a certain class of widows who would be enrolled in the church. He encourages the, the younger women to marry instead of giving themselves over to, to this life of, of dedicated service uh, to the church, it seems, because uh, they're, they're going to desire uh, to, to be married. And so it could be that these are, are women who are apparently without a man, and they are uh, vulnerable to the persuasions and the, uh, the, the, the silver forked tongue of another man who would come and lead them astray. But they have, they have various passions, and so these desires make them easy prey for those who can come along with promises to fulfill those desires. And we still continue to see this, don't we? How many, because of their desires, have uh, been easily manipulated? have fallen prey to scams. How many little old women? Uh, we should say that the term weak women does have that idea of a, a little woman. It's, again, it's that, that sort of childish, immature um, uh, idea. But how many little old women have had a deceiver who has crept into their house through the television screen? It was to them a great blessing from God in exchange for a financial contribution. And yet, for these women, what we find in verse 7, they're not met, are they? They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. It seems that the general consensus, we we might uh, say this, seems to refer to the false teachers, perhaps. uh, That could be a description of them. Uh, But it seems, in in the immediate context, this is another description of these women. Their desires are not met. They've been sold a, a pipe dream. And yet their, their constant pursuit of things, their, their willingness to listen to those who are, who are creeping in to deceive them and to lead them astray, it doesn't lead them uh, to having their desires fulfilled, to getting their lives sorted out. And the, the saddest thing of all is that it doesn't lead them to a knowledge of the truth. 
And so the danger is if, if you're one of those who, who's sort of hankering for a quick fix, uh, you, you've got these various passions, these, these desires. You're always looking for the loophole to, to get around the, the ordinary uh, path of, of things. You can be susceptible uh, to those who would lead you astray. So beware those who can come with the quick fix. Beware those who can come and say, you've, you've been so burdened. You've been led astray. Uh, I, I, I am the one who can, who can fix it all for you. So the times are difficult. They're characterized by those who deceive and take advantage of those who just seemingly can't say no to them. But as we said at the beginning, all hope is not lost. There is also here an encouragement. We've seen an, uh, an example of the deception of Latter-day's ministry. We saw earlier an explanation of the difficulty of Latter-day's ministry. But now we see in these final two verses an encouragement towards determination in Latter-day's ministry. Verses 8 and 9, Just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Uh, this could be very tempting, couldn't it, for Timothy to give up? If these days are going to be this difficult, if we're going to have to be fighting off opponents, if we're concerned about those who are weaker, uh, less mature and less discerning within the church, if we're concerned that they are going to be led astray, I'm not so sure I want to sign up for this. And uh, Timothy is really being encouraged here not to give up or to give in. Uh, what verse 9 is telling us here, they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all. The, the Shakespearean way of say it, saying it, uh, truth will out. As my grandmother used to say, it will all come out in the wash. Uh, in other words, things eventually will get straightened out. Uh, we'll see them for what they are. It is an exhortation to perseverance. And Paul is reaching back in the Old Testament to provide an illustration, uh, just as he did in the book of Numbers earlier in the letter, uh, to show us this truth. Uh, so the context that he's referring to in verse eight, verses 8 and 9 is, is with Moses coming to, uh, to Israel and to Pharaoh. And remember, the Lord gave Moses great signs. And so before the plague started, he, he goes to Israel, he, and then he goes to Pharaoh, and one of those signs, remember, he had the, the staff, and he threw it down, and it became a serpent. And then the of Egypt were called, and they came, and they threw down their staffs, and they became serpents. They, they showed, too, their tricks. But what happened? The, the serpent of the Lord, the staff of the Lord, devoured uh, the serpents, uh, the staffs of the, of the uh, magicians. And then the plagues came, and the magicians were called again. Can you put a stop to this? Can you, you know, can you stop the frogs? No, we can make more frogs, but, you know, we, but we can't stop the frogs. We can only replicate what is taking place here. God was going to devour. The Lord was going to devour all the gods of Egypt. Well, those magicians, those sorcerers uh, in, in Jewish history, and even some, there's some pagan history that, that speaks to this, they were given names. That's who Paul is referring to here. That's, that's who's mentioned, Jannes and Jambres. And Paul is, is saying to Timothy, just as these two men opposed Moses, so also there are deceivers in the present day who are opposing the truth. But Paul says their minds are corrupted here. Uh, regarding the faith, they're disqualified, they're, they're reprobate. Uh, if there were to be a test to be given, they would not pass it. They're unqualified concerning the faith. And Paul says that the fact that they, that they are uh, 
that this is true of them, it's going to be made plain to all. Their folly is going to be readily apparent. It's just going to take time for it to be seen. Think of what we've been, what we've heard described here of those who oppose the truth, of those who deceive, of those in verses two to four who have all of these uh, evil characteristics. And think about this uh, contrasted with what Timothy is called to as a minister of Jesus Christ. Just think of how different this description is from your Lord. There are signs. There are red flags. There are things that should should say this is off because none of this reflects the character of Christ. Christ did not exploit people for His own gain. Christ did not take advantage of the poor so that He could become rich, but rather, Paul says in Corinthians that Christ became poor so that through His poverty we might be made rich. And what does Christ do? For those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, He doesn't... He doesn't produce all that we see here, but the opposite of all of these things. He produces the fruit of the Spirit. He produces holiness. He produces love to God and love for others. A desire to work for others' good and not to their harm and destruction. So, Timothy, this this is a great obstacle, no doubt. Just as it was for Moses. But Timothy, like Moses, should not despair needs to remember that their outcome is going to be the same as those men. It's going to be evident of who they are, who they work for. They will not proceed indefinitely. Paul says they will not get very far. Their foolishness will be evident to all in due time. So Paul's words to Timothy regarding Latter-day's ministry. These words are both sobering and encouraging to the continuing church of the Lord Jesus. They're sobering because... The times are difficult. Make no mistake about it. He wants you to understand this, Timothy. These are hard times. These words are sobering because there are those who are deceivers and they do indeed lead people astray. You remember in that last section, back in verse 25, Timothy was told to correct his opponents with gentleness because God may perhaps grant them repentance. And God, by His grace, may do that. But He doesn't want Timothy to be naive. He wants him to understand that there are those who will continue. and, And in their obstinance... Uh, These are those you will have to avoid. So these days are difficult. But these words, and these words are sobering, but these words are also encouraging. Because, Timothy, you you can't lose sight of what the end is going to be. You can't lose sight of what the outcome will be. Timothy, remain faithful. Stick by the stuff. Let's pray.